Hello and welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. It is a Brother, Brother podcast on what could potentially be a sad day. Um, Daft Punk is no longer, Jeremy. Uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 have, uh, <laughs> have officially parted company. And uh, Guy, Guy 3PO and, and Thomas uh, R2. And Tomas D2. Um <laughs> Actually, it is funny. I was going to uh, actually say their their names, and I've decided to keep it at Tomas and Guy and Guy because they're yeah. Last that's names a serious a last name. Guy is attached to his. <laughs> I think he has yeah. ten last names, by the way. It's like Guy de Maupassant, blah 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 blah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, in typical Daft Punk fashion, they've uh, they've exited um, with way in more fanfare than than you would expect. <laughs> And uh, and done it in a really kind of a cool way. Did you watch the uh, epilogue video? I did. Yeah, I actually caught it yesterday, and I know you sent it to me again today. Um, yeah, so you've got you know Guy and, and Thomas is, is in their robot uh, personas, you know, in the desert. They seem to find this desert landscape quite a bit. Yeah, um, well, that's part of their. It must be their planet. <laughs> then, well, that's what they're aiming for. But yeah, I mean, you realize that that um, that video is actually an excerpt from a film that they did um back in the in the um, ah that's right yeah 2000s um and it's escaping me at the moment what it's called but uh um <laughs> yeah it was actually a, a film that they directed um back in i think 0607 that um you know played the circuit did the festival circuit but didn't have any of their music in it so it wasn't like a long form music video it was a it was an actual uh, film, but that's where that that's where that footage comes from. And and so if you feel like you've seen that explosion before, it's because you have. Um, Got but, it. But yeah, let's go back to the beginning instead of the end. Uh, you had a pretty yeah no definitely you were pretty early on the Daft Punk bus, as I recall. Yeah, I'd like to think I was. You know, it, it's hard to kind of say because it was sort of pre. We talk about a lot on this pod, internet buzz, and it kind of is fitting that we just did a, a sort of return to rock pod with on the Strokes last episode um, because this is sort of what built up to that. I feel like in the late '90s, you know, kind of this dance revolution and, and kind of hip hop and, and DJ revolution that was sort of streaming coming back to us really from Europe, mm-hmm. um, having started in, in kind of nightclubs in New York and Chicago and, and Detroit with you know sort of house music and techno and uh well i would throw in i would throw in one additional because i actually um weirdly watched the the making of screamadelica the other day the primal scream album yeah from the early early 90s um with who which was um you know produced by a friend of podcasts and dearly departed andy weatherall it's it's kind of you know there was that movement from the madchester scene where you were melding rock and dance, and then it went further and further into the electronic realm with bands like The Orb and um, Chemical Brothers. Yeah, uh, Chem- yeah. It was um, no, and it was it was kind of you're right. It was the Manchester scene, and and you sort of kind of had that like rock dance thing going on, and and then from that came kind of the acid house scene, and and you know all of this sort of hardcore dance music. I was, you know, you were probably hitting clubs in New York and, 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 you know, kind of hearing this, but you never really had a face to that music. It was, uh, it was yeah. a, a, you know, usually chemical fueled, <laughs> um, you know, dance party really. And, and there was always, you know, kind of a background of, of, you know, hard driving beats and things like that. And, and I think with Daft Punk, I was 20 years old in 1997. I had just moved to Austin, and Austin was unique in the sense that, like, the freaks from all over the Southwest sort of ended up there, and there was still that divide of, of rock and dance crowds, and I liked both, um, having listened to a lot of hip-hop and stuff in New Jersey growing up and, and being close to New York City, and I will say that, like, four to the floor, 120, 130 beats per minute of house music always kind of made its way into DJ sets for hip-hop. So you had, you know, kind of a, a, you know, I've mentioned this before to you, just there was a house song called Follow Me by Ally Us 
that just was always mixed in at the end of the night. If you ever went to like a house party or hip hop party and it was, you know, a strict house song. I never knew the name of the song, never knew who the fuck it was until I read Moby's book. And he was, I was like, Oh my God, that's the song that I'd heard so much as a kid, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I also kind of happened to be on my own for the first time with a couple friends, two original Jersey nights, uh, my friend Peter Ninakis and Addison Kidd. And Pete was really into hip hop and dance music, you know, way more. I was sort of in the waning days of pavement. And this is also kind of a rough time period for indie rock, I feel like. It was the end of bands like Pavement. Um, you know, you're sort of, it was end of originality like, for that, uh, for that scene. Yeah, there was a lot was of copycats. Archers, was... um, you know, bands like that, that were kind of holding the flag up. So you'd go to these rock shows with your arms crossed and kind of, you know, judging every move the band made. Um, and then I would end up after the bars closed at two, finding warehouse parties or house parties and just kind of making a night of it till, you know, say four in the morning or so. And I think the one thing that could never get captured was what you were hearing in in the in a house party or a DJ party or warehouse or even some clubs. You could go to clubs at 18 then. So I wasn't 21. I had a great fake ID, but I wasn't 21. But you could actually go to clubs at 18. You just couldn't drink. So you ended up doing other things and yeah. dancing um, because the club stayed open until four or five, you know. And so I think Pete originally had the single and then the album of homework in 1997 and, and but the original single was around the world mm-hmm. and it was a song that just kind of blew us away it was the big difference between i think what was going on with a lot of the the British. other groups back then that were getting all the press you know chemical brothers orbital um prodigy things like that was they were kind of taking rock and making it electronic to mm-hmm. some degree i guess it was aggressive that big beat sound Fat Boy Slim, even early on. It was basically testing the limits of technology to see how much you could compress into a record. Yeah, and it also was like, it just, it was dancey, but it wasn't dance music in the sense of what you were hearing when you were out, you know, mm-hmm. at night, um, you know, kind of uh, hallucinating and then moving around freely. And, uh, and Around the World was the first time we were like, holy shit, like, this is really what we've been like listening to out at these parties and stuff this is this is kind of captured into this and if you listen to homework it is a it's a great dj set really on on record and and i think the thing that they did better than anyone was take kind of disco house music funk and 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 electronic and and kind of blended into this you know bizarro thing i mean we saw the video i think for around the world on like a public access station with the robots you know kind of and this was a little bit before they had gone full robot mode, they weren't showing their faces, but their gear wasn't quite as uh, advanced. It was like flaming. It was the flaming lips version, yeah, mm-hmm. of the uh, of the robot and homemade. And um, you know, in the video of people just sort of walking around in circles in costumes, you know, doing the actual robot dance, and uh, you just—I mean, I think for an entire summer we played that record at at our parties that we would have at our house non-stop and, and it really felt like the first time you could capture what was going on on the dance floor or at you know actual dj parties with just popping on a record you know whereas mm-hmm. others you kind of had to make a mix or you had to flip albums over or do you know kind of you know man the booth i guess or man the player and you know again at, in 1997 in austin you could find gear back then at these cheap thrift shops so we, we found you know pretty good record players and receivers and stuff really cheap it was pre you know sort of pre the the wave of that coming back so only really djs and hip-hop people were kind of buying record players and you could get a a very cheap keg or two of pbr lone star and and, and sort of boatloads of drugs and have a party with homework and and i gotta say like songs like you know defunk or around the world are, are really capture that time and place like like nobody else had on on record as far as i was concerned and it was really that that not being kind of grown up on the DJ culture and things like that, but it was really that sound that you were sort of looking for. Like, oh, these guys have like perfected the accessible sound of disco, the groove of, you know, funk and dance music with the the really underground, you know, house music and, and, and kind of club music. And uh, I think nobody did it better. No, I, it's funny. I, I went back and, and listened to homework today and I was, uh, well, first of all, you know, the, the, um, you know, the visual element of this band is always, you know, front and center. And, 
and if you rec- I don't know if you remember the video for Defunk, um, uh, but the video for Around the World was Michelle Gondry, um, you know, who along with Spike Jones was sort of yep. the absolute you know pinnacle of avant-garde music video making. Michelle Gondry sort of cut his teeth with this, and it did. It had that sort of uh, David LaChapelle almost feeling to it. Um, but they, you know, yeah, there's it, something instantly cool about, these yeah, guys. but there's something too that, you know, that I didn't realize until I went back and listened to it because when I, you know, when I first heard it and I did first hear it, uh, like almost everybody else in the world at, a at your house in, uh, in Texas. <laughs> um, but when I went back and listened to it, I realized that it's, it's not really electronic. I mean, there's electronic uh, elements to it, but it's really a rock record. Yeah, it is, and it's with a dance groove. I mean, it's really, yeah. I think, too, I was just going to say, it was the, you know, and the one thing, I, as I mentioned earlier, there was sort of a divide, right? I, You know, and I don't mean to make this about me by any means, but at the time I was working at a, a place, and it was we had a morning crew and a night crew, a restaurant-type situation, and the night crew was just kind of the dance fans, and the morning crew was kind of the indie rock fans, and, and never did the two meet, really. It was, And I sort of liked both crowds, so I hung out with both. And... Um, and I remember this being kind of a crossover record where it was like, oh, this is cool. Like, you know, people that traditionally didn't really were like complaining about electronic music and not playing their instruments or, you know, whatever it was that people were bitching about back in, in 1997. Um, or the other side of it being like, you know, rock is dead and, and guitars suck, blah, blah, blah. You know, whoever could be cooler. It really kind of got a race with Daft Punk. You threw that on, and it was just like, "Oh shit, let's dance!" You know, what was and it, it was, was uh, big riff with guitar rock with filter. You know, with like uh, yep. effects as opposed to well, being... and the bass groove too was so disco and funk that you could yeah. always move your body to it. Absolutely. Oh no, it's 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 you know, and it became classic fairly quickly. Um, it's it's funny that homework was you know the first record and then the follow-up as i recall and you know my memory not being perfect discovery i don't think discovery was that well received 2001 you know it's funny because i think it was i think you're right i was trying to think the same thing too because there was sort of this comeback in 06 which we'll talk about in a little bit but i feel like Discovery, though, did have hits and it did, they did actually, I mean, you know, to your point of music videos and things like that, the visual. So there's the Gap ad mm-hmm. with Juliet Lewis dancing around Daft Punk. Um, what song is that? Sorry. It's, uh, is Strong. Robot Love? Is that? Is it, uh, no, um, uh, give me a second. Yeah. You can, it's... You can be our Google check. No. <laughs> I mean, it's the, my fa- it's my favorite song by them. Um, I know, but yeah, it's uh, but yeah, they so they were, you know, they had this, they had home, you know, uh, Discovery come out, and it was, but I don't remember it getting like raves. I remember, I remember being popular, and I remember being present, but I don't remember it um, being like you know a critical darling. Do you? I think it's grown. Digital love is the song, by the way. Yeah, Yeah, well, I was going to say, Discovery was almost rediscovered post the Coachella show, in a way, too, because it was was kind of an... Discovery was somewhat underground still. I think the the Gap ad and things like that were were popular. Yeah, it certainly had hipster cred, but... Yeah, and, it, and it, I don't know that it did get, like, huge reviews, but at that point, it was 1997 to 2001, right, is when right. Discovery came out? It's a long time. Yeah. So we're, yeah, so we're right on, it's a, it's a decent amount of time, Your things are moving quickly at that point, and you're kind of right at what we were talking about last time, too, it was like the rock revolution again was, yeah, was just hitting. The backlash. Um, exactly, and, and so I think it was almost kind of looked at it like a parody a little bit, like, oh, these guys are a bit, not a joke, but like... Um, they're they weren't taking it seriously. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're ween. And I, and I think they didn't help themselves with the follow up to that, which was the human after all. Yeah, human after all, which was actually a huge flop. <laughs> yeah, but that was even four years after discovery. I'm thinking back to discovery, and I'm thinking, you know what I, I'm starting to realize is that, you know, we were having, um, you know, the prodigy, Aphex Twin. 
um, the orb, all that shit shoved down our throat as if, you know, we weren't smart enough to figure out, or we, you know, our, or we couldn't trust our taste to figure out, you know, what the, what was, what the future of music was. And the fact is that, you know, uh, another, another sort of, you know, electronic sounding record was, you know, was sort of like, ugh, okay, here we go again. And then, the, you know, like the Strokes came out and we were like, okay, we love this shit. You know, and the Strokes, White Stripes, all that stuff starts coming out. Um, and it took a sort of yeah. retro, retroactive uh, appreciation for Discovery to, to sort of make it grow. And I don't know if this is the case, but in my experience with dance music and electronic music in general, doesn't it always feel like by the time the album comes out, you're it's not cool anymore? Yes. I feel like it, there's no genre that that sort of um, greater has that effect because it is such a it's such an atmosphere music. Like when I think of homework, as I was saying before, I think of really sweaty nights, you know, dancing and like being up all night. I don't necessarily think about popping on the record so much. Um, yes. And I, I think too, it, it's it's so it's one of those worlds that that you know where you have free form, you know, long evenings into the morning light, and I think that um, it's just very hard to capture that on record. Um, and so by the time we were getting the orb and the Chemical Brothers and all this stuff shoved down our throats, um, it just wasn't that good, you know. Either it was you know it was kind of the condensed version of an amazing evening that yeah. you could never really recapture. Yeah, there's certain people, I mean, you know, take it far away from this genre. There's certain people I've seen live that I'm like, they could never be captured appropriately on record and brings to mind like Katie Lang's voice live. You know, I've never heard yeah. it. I've heard her make some good records, but there's absolutely nothing that I've ever heard on a record that can compare to what she sounds like live. And I think that's, you know, the, what you're saying is like experientially, you'll never feel you'll never hear one of these songs in the same way that you did when you were out and about um you know sweating at four o'clock in the morning you can't just yeah like i can't hear around the world without thinking of the time and place i heard mm -hmm. around the world whereas uh, you know there's a million other songs that, that i could mention that you know i just really like or i can listen to any time so um, and I also think around Discovery, they did go full robot mode. They upped the, they upped the uh, robot game. They did. And, and really kind of became, you know, the robots. It, it, and I, you know, going back to that, that is one of the greatest, I just think it's one of the greatest concepts ever. Uh, it comes full circle, I think, uh, because I think it was inspired by, um, you know, Phantom um, of the Amusement Park, the movie, which is kind of where they get the aesthetic, and Paul Williams did all the music for that and was in it, and Random Access Memories comes along years later, and they, they uh, um, you know, they uh, collaborate with Paul Williams, and actually then on uh, Epilogue, their video today, they their last song they play is, is that song that they um, yep. touch that they did with... Um, Paul Williams. So it's, you know, they're, they're never not thinking of, of these things as, as legacy items, but yeah, you're right. They went full robot around that time. The weird thing is that, you know, 2005 rolls around human after all comes out and it's kind of a bust like, and yeah, like, well, I think to your point, you're in the full rock mode in Brooklyn kind of resurgence. Um, you and I, I just honestly, if you go back and listen to that album, it has some some tracks. It's just not as good as discovering homework either. Yeah, um, it's, it's I would I would make the comparison. You know, Safari, um, Moon Safari by Air, followed by right. One Million Megahertz. It's sort of like yep. And then they follow and that you know, up. Good point. Bringing up Air too, because actually they sort of came around the same time, mm -hmm. um, and it was that kind of like, oh my god, what is this? And, you know, we both have listened to Moon Safari, you know, to death. And I, you know, and they've had great follow-up since, but this, the follow-up to that was was just, like, boring, you know, compared dark. to what you had, had just one good experienced. Song on yeah, yeah. And then the follow-up I mean, to Human that, After the third album was that. fantastic in Talkie Walkie. Right. Um, and I think that's, you know, these guys are kind of, you know, it's as much as we like to think there's perfection in robot world, um, you know, there's some uh, there's some human 
element There's behind it. There's some flaws it. in the yeah, in the microchips every once in a while. But human <laughs> after are, all, they are human after all. <laughs> human after all comes out in 05. It's kind of eh. And uh, April of 06 is the uh, now legendary Coachella. Um, yeah. And I'm going to do my you, best. You know that story better than I do. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll, I'll do my best sort of recounting of it. And, and, you know, we apologize. We sort of, you know, this news was, sh- was shocking the world yesterday. So we kind of had to jump on a pod and and go through our Daft Punk history. But, um, again, like, you've got 01 to 06, you know, so Discovery in the sense of, like, Discovery being the last album that people, I think, were, were pretty listening to and and kind of fond of, although not as not as much hype as you as you mentioned earlier. Human After All was a real dud, and I don't remember even hearing much about it. I remember sort of seeing it in record stores and watching. All it, to I'm be saying honest. is that Discovery is a lot bigger in people's recollection than it was in real time. The things that well, and here's thing- this is a big reason why I think too, because I do think it's an album that people went back to, and, and mm-hmm. I'm going to hold that that conspiracy theory. <laughs> but um, so anyways, Coachella has become a big event. You know, it was sort of the, I guess, was it really like kind of the first Reading Festival style fest going on in the U.S. where you had, you know, the touring Lollapalooza situation and, and, and this was kind of the, the first standalone mega fest. Everything that, was that kind a, of. Everything was a tour from, you know, 91 when Lollapalooza started and through the 90s. Um, and we'll have to do a podcast on this. At yeah, some the point, Warp Tour, the Warped you know, Ford, um, Lilith. Fair, what was the metal one? Ozfest. <laughs> I mean, then they were great. Some of them were great, um, but they were all day experiences that went from town to town across the country yeah. uh, with a shit ton of bands. I mean, what a what a what a you know logistical fucking nightmare that nightmare yeah and okay and they should get that to figure out the vaccine production get a lot perry farrell on it um but yeah and so then you had this you know festival in coachella in california and i don't you're more familiar with southern california than i am it's kind of deserty right it's your sort of yeah it's on it's on indio out in coachella valley and it's next to palm springs which you know, again, like uh, Miami Beach, Palm Springs was a place where old people went uh, to die. It's especially especially old, like movie stars went to die, and then there, yeah. um, you know, it, I equate it with the sort of Caius um, uh, Queens of the Stone Age emergence. That you know, it, it, the that area became a little younger, a little hipper. And then it kind of, and you know, I don't know if my timeline's right, but you know, people, you know, young, cooler people from LA started going out there and having parties, and and you know, cool hotels started popping up, boutique hotels, um, and it wasn't just a place to go die. And then I do not know the history of Coachella, admittedly, that well, but you know, they, they somebody came up with the idea of doing a stationary um, sort of approximation of, you know, those European festivals, Nebworth and, um, you know, the big sort of three-day, um, you know, major headliner, tons of, uh, tons of money. Yeah, and going. they did, also they sort of made their mark by doing, it was kind of the first of, re, like, um, I guess, sort of alternative or indie reunions. I mean, Jane's Addiction, I think, was one of the first headliners, uh, reunited Jane's Addiction. Right. Um, they, I think they the started, Pixies early on jumped on that, you know. Well, they realized so, that buzz, there was buzz involved. I mean, they, they've reportedly, you know, offered the Smiths, you know, you know yeah, billions billion of dollars, dollars to reunite. <laughs> um, you know, that it... It's one of those things where careers are made and, and, you know, there's the, there's, you know, Daft Punk, I think, was the first band to come out there and sort of do a career defining act. Yeah. And I think, so to get into that a little bit, the, the story that I know, and, and again, my please fact check at some point, but I, I don't know how, if my timeline's right or if all the facts are right, but the story as I know it is that um, Coachella, you know, basically the main stage was usually rock acts and hip hop acts or the, the, the few main stages. I have not been to Coachella. There was always a DJ tent that certainly was very popular with young people and, and you know, because it's, it's fun, you know, and so people were, you know, ecstasy and partying and, and dancing and things like that. So they always had pretty premier DJ style 
uh, events going on, but it wasn't the main stage. And Daft Punk was asked to play, and I think Coachella tend, you know, tended to kind of overpay, as you were mentioning, for for these acts. And I think at this point, Discovery had become kind of this cult classic um, with a younger generation than, than you or I. And was kind of, you know, in the dance world and in the party world, you know, uh, you know, James Murphy famously mentions it. You know, I played Daft Punk to the Rock Kids, you know, and, and uh, Losing My Edge, things like that, or Daft well, Punk. I think Kanye know. sampling, you know, sort of gave it a, a new life. Yep, you had Kanye, Stronger, yep. And so Daft Punk, you know, in their 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 usual mysterious fashion kind of had this, you know, ominous, you know, kind of build up to the show. And what they did was they actually, I think they opted not to play on the main stage, took the, um, but they said that they needed this, you know, all of the money had to go towards this stage getup, like this, and nobody knew what it was. They wouldn't talk about it, wouldn't say what was going on. Um, but they said, you know, like, you're going to pay for this, you know, basically like staging. And, and so Coachella forked over the money. They, you know, kind of went about their business, you know, very quietly and if you ever, you can just YouTube the clips. I mean, there's this sort of, you know, kind of like buzz going on at the festival where, you know, I think you, people got text messages at the time and Daft Punk was about to start. And, and uh, you know, if you watch any of it, it's it's a sizably smaller stage and event. And they built the pyramid, basically, the, the pyramid spaceship, all the lighting, all of the sound. So every cent, I don't even think they took like a ton of money for themselves every cent went into the staging and you know what's now become legendary is this giant you know space pyramid coming down with the lid being taken off and the robots in there and just busting out one of the you know quintessential dj sets of our you know i guess I in history the, really i think if you go back in time of like iconic live sets you know there are i mean you're talking like beatles on ed sullivan kind of uh, you know, it wasn't that much of an earthquake, but it was, you know, it's up there with Sly and the Family Stone at Woodstock and, and you know, yep. the the Wall Tour and um, the Stop Making Sense Tour and, um, you know, uh, Zuropa or whatever. Yeah, if you didn't see it, you heard about it. This is now the age of internet. You watch the clips, you know, and you can just see the, the crowd go... Holy fucking shit. Bonkers. <laughs> yeah. And like, and, you know, just, it is one of the coolest, like, you know, looking stage get-ups. And again, like I, I, you know, as I was saying earlier, it's not always the easiest thing to capture. We, we had a great time seeing Chemical Brothers at, at um, Forest Hills Tennis Stadium, and it's a beautiful place to see a show. But you can't quite capture the, the intensity of being in a small room or in a, you know, sweaty club or in a house party or whatever. It's still fun and good. And they really just brought the house down. And, um... And then just the get up alone and the, and the music and the lighting and everything that they poured sort of every cent to. And, and I, I really do think that changed the, the history of the group, too. All of a sudden, you know, I think things like Discovery and Homework um, really became, you know, kind of common to, to anybody who liked music. It was like, oh, shit, Daft Punk, you know, the LCD song Daft Punk's playing at my house. You know, they just became this kind of classic instantly and it really I, I do believe to your point was that Coachella show I mean oh, they were they were around and they were sort of underground and they were hip and they had their moments but no, that, but that was, Coachella that was show just seismic yeah it that was like changed an everything. atomic bomb that changed everything it also upped the ante for everybody um you know uh you know if you ever saw Beyonce's um set a few years later at Coachella I mean you know that thing was epic and so brilliant and but it's it's because there is now you know the the you know the 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 basically the stakes have been set uh, at a certain level by Coach by uh, Daft Punk's Coachella set in April two thousand six. Yeah, I mean Skrillex. Anybody who you know all of a sudden you know landed in a you know Death Star to to do their DJ set was yeah. uh, you know definitely influenced by that show. And and I can't you know. I, Look at the clips to it. It's not kind of the main event. This was not the last show of the night. They were not headliners, no. which is great. Um, you know, it's one of those things where what they, they were, were kind was, of they there. Were, they, were, they were the person that comes in and walks away with the movie. Yeah, they dropped the mic on Coachella, basically. It was the Hannibal Lecterism of, uh, you know, 
I mean, Silence of the Lambs is not named for Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter is surprisingly in that movie uh, for, a, you know, a fewer scenes than you would ever think. But what's the only thing you think of when you think of that? It's like, you know, it was the most scenery-chewing, like, but awesome uh, and rewarding uh, you know, live experience. I, I think back, I mean, I, I don't mean to diminish either, but, you know, you think about like Prince's halftime show at the Super Bowl. Yeah. How that's always going to be the greatest halftime show now. And right. you can only unveil the Daft Punk set um, for the first time once. And it was, if you know, I'm, I'm sure it's one of those things like Game 6 of the 75 World Series where... You know, there were 34,000 people in the park, and there are 7 million people that claim to have been at the park. Um, oh, definitely. <laughs> you know, I think... And I think... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm good. Uh, I was going to say, let's, uh, we'll take a quick break, but it also just, like as I said, brought back to life all of the great music on Discovery and Homework, too. You know, I think it, it put those songs into into one place, into one, you know, event, and I think really started resurgent. Let's take a quick break, listen to some Daft Punk, and then we'll come back with the 2006 on. How about Digital uh, Love? To the <laughs> yeah, there you go, Digital Love. <laughs> back to the brother 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 pod and we are um reminiscing and uh saddened by the news that daft punk split up we were not at the epic coachella show even though we would like to claim we were back in 06 and i was there i was there man um i was watching the strokes on the other stage but um you know that that epic show did bring us their next outing alive in 2007, and let's talk about Daft Punk post uh, Coachella, and then we'll we'll wrap up with a little bit about a documentary we just watched. Yeah, well, it's I think you can sort of wrap up the the next. It, it's funny um, it, that that disproportionate uh, leap of popularity that came with um, the earth shattering. Coachella set, um, you know, kind of, kind of, I mean, they are a band built on mythology. They are a band who are very purposely you know, portray yeah. characters and are very, um, you know, sort of dedicated to the visual, um, and, and, you know, sort of mythology behind, uh, their music. So 2010 Tron Legacy, uh, a bust of a movie, and, um, you know, I think something... Which was like a, a shit movie to begin with. <laughs> I remember, the first, the not, I remember not liking it. And I remember it yeah, being... I didn't like it either. Um, sort of supposed to have been, you know, sort of groundbreaking in terms of, of how it was, uh, of this, you know, visual effects and, and not really being that impressed yet. Um, Tron Legacy comes out. They put a lot of effort into that soundtrack. It's kind of a bust. Um, they can kind of do anything at this point though, too. I, I think it's kind of like, they don't, that it wasn't a bust in the same way that, you know, humans human after, after all, all was. was, I think they, they were able, they were, you know, allowed a, a pass. You know? Well, it was a soundtrack too. So, you know, it yeah. doesn't, you know, the, it's not all eyes on, on the band. It's they, the, the thing doesn't fail or succeed on the back of the band and, and, you know, like a lot of soundtracks, it can just sort of be, you know, it can be the, 
Tom Petty's She's the One for the Ed Burns movie. You know, it's sort of the... Right. You know, it's sort of a... It happened. We can forget about it. Discography. Um, 2013, I actually am in Los Angeles for this one. And um, just weird uh, billboards start popping up um, across the country, I think. I think there's one in New York. You know, I remember the one on Sunset. Um, And um, they were just, you know, no, no information... Just a split visual of the two helmets, the gold helmet and the silver helmet, um, sort of being brought together. And then... Um, the ETD2 and Thomas uh, 3P. Yeah, and then, you know, get lucky drops. And I almost, I mean, God, I remember the and day... And that dropped in teasers too, do you remember? That was sort of like ads and like kind of, there was teasers with that. It wasn't exactly... Just the riff. Like it did drop fully, but yeah, the riff and then kind of like, what is this? It just fades out. I remember it was like, and it it was very... And so basically, but I guess my, my recollection of this, again, is a fever dream from 2013. I'm living in LA for the first time in a while. And all of a sudden, Get Lucky is literally coming from every single fucking car in Los Angeles. I mean, it, it felt like the weirdest you know, Synchronized. Like, yeah, it didn't matter. You didn't need to synchronize. You just stop at a stoplight, and the guy next to you had it on, too. And, you know, I was, I was listening to it a ton. I mean, I know people that were just sort of, you know, listening to it singularly. It was, it was a, like... It was that big of a, an immediate bomb that dropped. And again, that's a song that everybody in the world can like. It was almost engineered for everybody in the world to like it. It's got Nile Rodgers, Pharrell, um, you know, the robots. It's concise. The, the radio edit was concise. Um, it just, it's a song that I've heard a billion times and never gotten sick of. It's an instant classic. It was I mean, an it's like it, December or whatever, or September by Earthwind Fire, you know. It's, September. It's just like, yeah, it's one of those tracks that, like, you know, you automatically are like, oh, this could have been, you know, from 1976 or, or now or whenever. It's so good. Yeah, and it, it, it really kind of buttresses the fact that you know people don't remember that well which is that random access memory is not that great of an album i mean it's no it it's got its moments but most of them are secondary but this song is just a supernova it it is going you heard it and you're like this is going to be played at every party for the rest of eternity Um, yeah it's the summer jam this year and every summer of your life for going forward (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, again, they, they, you know, great lyrics, great catchy riff by Niles Rogers, obviously the master, you know, feral. It's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's perfect. You got, and then they, you know, they perform again, um, sort of their, you know, sort of their victory lap uh, in a way for, you know, the, the previous 10 years. And, um, you know, again, this, this is a, this is an album where they, but they, they had achieved the kind of, status now where they could call on every single one of their idols and random access memories um you know sort of has almost a a, almost runs in a in a sequence that that sort of talk you know that that describes the band's uh fascinations i mean you've got Nile rogers on there you've got paul williams on there um you know who inspired their music, yes, but also, you know, uh, did the movie where they, you know, where they sort of adopted their visuals from. Um, and you've got Julian Casablancas, I believe, was on there. Um, but it was basically just an opportunity to go back with the, the sort of credibility that they had and pick and choose who they wanted to work with and everybody wanted to work with them. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that I will say throughout Daft Punk's career, obviously post-Coachella especially, but they were always a group that cool, talented people, you mentioned Kanye, with Stronger, you know, always attached themselves to. Like, other people, it was like one of those groups 
like craft work or can that. Yeah. Can. Like I was going to say, like you kind of know that you like it and you then are sort of reassured by the fact that people you really respect and, and dig are like, Oh, these guys are fucking awesome. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, these guys are the it's kind of, yeah. And I want to work with them. And, and yeah, this was kind of the, the epicenter of that. I mean, kind of the, the final Roth. I mean, that album won six Grammys, you know, yeah. or was it nominated or won? I think it won six Grammys, right? It so. won. It was a huge success. And then the funny thing is, that, you know, after the show, they could have, it, you know, um, they probably could have walked through, you know, uh, I want to say, I want to, anywhere in Los Angeles, New York, Paris, London, and if they weren't in their robot outfits and nobody would have known who they were. Yeah, I got to say, I think I've seen a picture of them when they were younger, yep, um, yeah. early on. Oh, they used to perf- they, did, they performed out of costume early on. I no, mean, I know, and, early on, yeah. But I mean, they were, you know, this was at this point, what, 20 years ago, right? Or longer, so. 25, yeah. 20, and, yeah, 25 years ago. So, you know, I mean, I have no idea what they look like today. And, and they've done a great job of, of just... But Never talking, it, you know, minus uh, a couple like vocoder robotic vo- voiceovers, and um, and you know, never really showing their face. It, it, it's it's a really great concept. I don't think anyone has really pulled it off as completely as they have. Um, no, it, t- it took me and, back to like Kiss in the seventies, and I was gonna say even Kiss screwed it up by taking off their makeup and showing <laughs> out what they really yeah. looked like. Going, oh God, put it back on. <laughs> like, yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ, yeah. Um, you know the. You know, there's never been a sort of, you know, side by side, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that, you know, know what they, what they look like, but they've, but in terms of their public facing persona, there is, they've done such a masterful job of keeping um, this, keeping their identities under wraps. I mean, they're not, you know, they don't pretend to not exist. They, but, you know, like I said, they could walk in anywhere and, uh, you know. I mean, they could walk up to any bouncer playing their music in America and be like, yeah, sorry, guys, there's a line. Um, right. <laughs> and then, so, to cap, the capper, I guess, you know, I mean, let's, let's talk about how weird it is that they are publicly breaking up after not having put anything out since Random Access Memory. Minus, well, Star, minus the, the weekend. Starboy, yep. Yeah, the weekend hit, which is a great song, actually. Yeah, there's Starboy and and um, uh, the, well, the second single that they also um, uh, God, my brain is not working uh, that well today, but um, you know there's so they did the on Starboy they did a couple of collaborations with the Weekend, uh, both very good singles, um, but what you know why two twenty two twenty one to break up. Um, to, uh, you know, put this video out into the world epilogue? And are we just priming ourselves to get uh, sort of, um, to get the Daft Punk rebirth in a year or two uh, when they, um, you know, when they reverse course, or tomorrow, for that matter? You know, when yeah, they release a I new mean- album. I agree. You you literally because they never really give you any sign or you know, well they give you literal billboard signs at times, but there's not any communication other than imagery, right? You um yeah, you don't know. I mean I think, you know, they could be done, they could be taking a break, they could have an album drop, they could have be done and have an album drop still. And and I think that it's uh it's one of those things that if they are done I, I think they went out on on the note they wanted to and left us with like great music, great memories, and and uh, I don't think there'll be another Daft Punk in the next ten years. Um, and then if they are back, good, great, you know, or, or you know if they do end up dropping something, I think we'd be equally as happy. I think it's a band that just has such goodwill, mm-hmm. a group, or you know whatever you want to call it, DJs, and rightfully so. I mean because they've been yeah, they've really fun. It. And they've, you know, also been really mysterious and not in an annoying way. It's just been fun. And yeah. uh, I really respect that. I and mean, the talent is great, but it's also just a band that, like, the imagination. you just feel cool. And, and you know, I was thinking as you were talking about the, the robot stuff, it, it sort of captures everything that people like, you know, whether you're kind of into the, 
you know, Marvel comic book world, you have that sort of aspect. Um, whether you just like dance music and good music and, you know, soul or funk, it, it's there. I think for, you know, people that tend to pride themselves on knowing what's hip and underground, it's there. You know, they just really kind of captured all of that. They also, I have to give credit where credit is due, did a great job of shutting up. Um, they are, yeah. there's, you know, you could, you could see a band dress like, uh, Daft Punk and kind of come up with some, you know, apocalyptic type of explanation for why they are changing from humans to robots. And they never really bothered explaining that so much as just embodied it. And so it's not some you know, dire message that they need to punctuate with an explanation as they leave the stage uh, at this point. It's, you know, they don't have to say, you know, the world's going to end and so we are, you know, going back. It's just they they existed and now they don't. Yeah, no, and I think, yeah, I really liked that. That's what I, there was kind of a mystery, but it wasn't a mystery you even needed to think about. You, you didn't know? want to solve it. Was it was just sort of like, no, it was it. just sort of like, yeah, those helmets must be really comfortable, you know? I don't think really so. Cool. And I, you know I, I agree with you, but I'm I'm hoping that with the success that Daft Punk had, that they created some sort of like air conditioning unit inside there or something. Well, yeah, I think there's. Uh, I think we saw as we saw in the video. There's, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, built-in um, devices that that we didn't know about, <laughs> including the back panel that uh, you can blow up your bandmate with. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's take a quick break and, and listen to a little bit more Daft Punk. Yeah, what do you want to go out with? With around the world. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today we are talking about the dissolution of our favorite robots, um, Gee3PO and Tomas D2, uh, <laughs> the, the fellows from Daft Punk, and, and who have uh, hung up their hung up their their uh, full body armor and their helmets, and are calling it a day. Um, so I guess we are going to end this episode the way we end every episode, and that is, uh, Jared, what are you listening to? Yeah, so um, I am listening to. Do you want to? We both watched the Britney doc. Do you want to talk about it here? Or do you yeah, want to save? Yeah, that? we can. Okay, yeah. So um, I watched the New York Times presents on Hulu, um, the Britney doc, and it, it's sort of a you know, Win and I were kind of talking earlier on on. Um, I guess, you know, around the same time probably that we were talking about Daft Punk here, late 90s, you know, yeah. 20s, Britney Spears kind of hit the scene with, with a pop sensation and like every generation has, you know, the Ariana Grandes of today or the Madonnas of my youth or whatever. Um, there's an overly sexed young um, pop star that kind of comes out and um, is sort of, you know, just scandalizes and, the world uh, and captures everybody's attention. Yeah, and, and huge, and, and so Britney being in, in that early 20s zone for me was kind of a, just a side note, you know, I knew the songs, I knew Oops, I Did It Again, and and, um, and Hit Me One More Time, or whatever, and I also had a weird experience in, in one of my various careers of, of um, being a production assistant on an HBO and sync uh, con- live concert, so 
I was around Brittany and Justin when their magic was uh, was full effect and, and ended up stuck in a service elevator with her and a few of her friends. But um, besides that, you know, I, I just didn't know that much about her other than, and, and I think which kind of plays into this this doc, which is the media, right? I mean, and, and sort of the, the, the love of that we have and the vulturous kind of uh, way we, we like to see stars go up and then down. And, and I think uh, Britney Spears, who came from much, you know, very humble beginnings, you know, really kind of worked her ass off, you see, to, to get to where she was with the support of her family, small town, Mississippi, was she from? Or Louisiana, sorry. Louisiana. And, um, and you know, and then, um, you know, just kind of obviously or, or, you know, notably has had some mental health issues and and the deterioration and now is is under the legal control, you know, her state and, and career really has, has become, what's the term that they, the legal term for it again? Conservatorship. Conservatorship, yeah, which is really kind of, you know, exclusively usually for elderly people or, or people that are, are truly mentally ill. And so there's been this, I've seen it, the free Britney tags and hashtags, free Britney bitch. Um, your friend, a uh, friend of the pod, Wesley Morris, uh, you know, is a, a talking head on it from New York Times. And, you know, I found it fascinating in the sense that, like, you know, this is this adult superstar who obviously has a very, very rabid fan base and, you know, a fan base that, that um, you know, it really loves her and, and, you know, wants her to be all right. There's, again, the Internet conspiracy theories. There's her father. So it's this kind of convoluted thing. And I think I walked away with two things, like, you know, more and more you just see, and I think Me Too has certainly helped this, but, you know, I certainly, because of my age, have been guilty of just kind of taking information as it was fed to me in the past. Um, where, oh, Brittany's crazy, or, oh, Justin's the good guy, or whatever it is. And seeing as a woman at that time, you know, or a young girl, like, how, you know, she was just the Put comments. Upon. I mean, holy shit, the interviews are like... Let's talk about your breasts, or are you virgin? I mean, just questions that are like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah, that was okay, believe. and it was okay back then. I mean, even to see somebody like Jay Leno, who you know, I always thought it was kind of a softy and kind of cheesy, was just brutal. You know, it, it's like, what the fuck? Um, and yeah, you, you know, you, it's in hindsight, of course, but you you didn't realize it at the time. Well, you, I, I think I would say uh, I would bring like three different. Uh, um, three different individual or together to, to make this, you know, sort of comparison work. You know, you, one is, uh, we just talked about Daft Punk who can, you know, unzip their, their getup and walk down the street and nobody would know who they are. And, right. um, you know, Britney Spears certainly does not have that, um, that ability, uh, to do that. And, you know, was really, you know, really wanted to be this level of famous, but also had, you know, much like anybody else, had no idea what it entailed. The other is Monica Lewinsky, who in recent years has kind of, um, you know, regained a lot of credibility by being funny on social media. She's a very, very um, adept uh, social media presence. And, you know, again, somebody who completely against her will uh, was be, became famous and didn't even have the the plus side of Britney Spears's uh, the joy of of making music or having a career, but but was cast into the spotlight um, under duress. And you know, if you go back and look at the way she was treated by the media, holy shit! Uh, I mean, it's a big feature in this doc. I mean, it's, sorry, it's a big part of the doc too because it was simultaneous. So that's right. and I think I, that's actually the Leno thing that I was referring to. And it's like. I think his comment was, you know, not to go too far into it, but it was like, we don't want, you know, do you want the good girl or do you want the slut? Like Monica, everybody wants the slut. Like, I was just like, Jesus, man. Like, yeah. you know, and also and, this, and is this like woman was taking advantage of like an old man. This. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really freaky. And, um, you know, it, it, not freaky. Freaky is, you know, puts too, too dull a point on it. It's really, uh, um, you know. It's really fucked up. Yeah, and it's I think and lamentable. it's kind of getting a you know it's day. I think Wesley put it really well when he was talking, and he's a uh, you know as a primary sort of spotlight on this doc. But I think the thing he was talking about, which was cool, and I never really thought about it this way—not cool, but um, you know that Brittany was you know sexy and kind of young and, and whatever, but she also had like a command that teenage girls really want you know, of their little body and their sexuality and things like that. Um, she wasn't, you know, kind of a 
dullard and she wasn't at all like a, you know she seemed to be very know what she was doing i mean she was smart and good um talented but like the other side of that too was the way people just talked about her, even when she was sort of re- recessing or having some mental issues or, or, you know, kind of just not dealing with the spotlight very well. And we don't know what was necessarily going on. And that's part of this doc is exploring. It was never like, is she okay? You know what I mean? It was just like, woof, bad mother, crazy. You know, to see Matt Lauer of all people, you mm-hmm. know, grilling her on driving with a kid in the front seat, you know, and it's like, it's just it's it's pretty crazy to look, and I thought that was the part of the doc that that hit me the most. I don't know about what, what was your takeaway. That, I mean, that was it. I, it was really eye opening to see um, how people were people are treated still, but the way people were treated uh, back then, and and the the, the sort of. Uh, you know, the sort of universal acceptance of that kind of, uh, you know, nobody was getting in trouble, much less getting canceled back then for, for exploiting and, uh, you know, talking about this underage girl. Yeah. Who clearly was going through some shit, (laughs) you know? It's, uh, yeah, it was, it's pretty harrowing. I, I thought the, uh, you know, and it is, it's a New York Times presents thing. So, you know, it's not exactly uh, a nuanced documentary. It's a, you know, it's a rehashing of the, of the past through news clips and some talking heads, some processing, but it, you know, it makes its point very clear, I think. And, um, I highly recommend it. Yeah, and I would just throw in there too the um, the downside of it being similar to some docs we've watched recently. Just the the conspiracy theory, you know, internet kind of sleuth or whatever you want to call them world, um, you know, where that's where it just was a little thin, right? You know, mm-hmm. it, it's super concerning and interesting. Her father taking over everything, and he does not, in at least in this documentary, come across as, as a great guy. Um, but there wasn't a lot of info around that it was a lot of guessing and, and kind of um obviously something's going on that you don't know speculation yeah so that was the thinnest part of it but yeah it was, it was interesting i think definitely worth watching how about you what are you listening to or we, or we can move on to throwing a thing well, if I, that was yours I, as well. just because we're we're uh, i'd like to move to a, a much um not lighter certainly but a, a much uh more pleasant experience um i watched nomad land um, this weekend also I on really Hulu. want to see that and uh, I loved it and um, it's just a kind of movie that you don't get that often anymore it's very quiet very you know very lived in um, I think aside from Francis McDormand and, and David Strathairn um, and actually his son there's very few actors in it it's mostly people who live this nomadic lifestyle and, and you know much like a documentary um, I think they they certainly cast the people who pop out as as dynamic characters uh, with you know with speaking roles, but it's just a it's a beautiful movie. Chloe Zhao is the director. Um, Chloe Zhao uh, had previously done um, The Rider. I don't know if you ever saw that, but uh, so far these sort of it, it's interesting with, with foreign directors and Chloe Zhao's Chinese. Um, I find that uh, sometimes they miss the nuance of, of American behavior. In this case, I would not say that was the case. But what they do capture is the beauty of the American landscape, unlike any American directors can, I think. I think there's something, there's something that, that is so... Um, there's, there's something in them that's so awestruck that... It comes out when you see people, um, you know, like Ang Lee or um, Warner Herzog, even or somebody. You know, when they're when they're visualizing America, they they see it so differently because, you know, they encounter it for the first time a lot of times in their adult life, and don't take it for granted. Um, again, a beautiful sort of uh, quiet, smart movie that is so welcome at this stage of the game when we're getting shit like the little things um and and other (laughs) you know relative crap so uh i highly recommend i I, nomadland just you know over the top recommend and i would also recommend it with the caveat that 
you know, you're not going to be wildly entertained. You are going to be uh, significantly rewarded. Cool. Yeah, no, I actually, like, almost watched it the other night, but uh, didn't have time, and my... Um I did watch the trailer though, and the trailer actually was like somewhat emotional. I'm like, oh, this is like looks really good. No, it's a really beautiful it's really movie. Really yeah. And cool. uh, with that said, do you want to add one to the to the list? Yeah, let's do it. Um, why don't you go first? Um, because I thought you were gonna go first. Um, <laughs> I actually think we've put a couple of. I think we have some death. I think I've put get lucky and uh, we have get lucky. Is Digital Love on yeah. there? No, no, it isn't. I was gonna either do. I was gonna hear what Daft Punk song if you were gonna do Daft Punk or not. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna put Digital each other Love here. on there, which is my favorite. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, and I'm gonna stay in uh, French electro pop and do uh, Kelly Watch the Stars by Air. Oh, nice. So cool. Well, uh, that was fun and uh, sad that Daft Punk is done, but uh, good talking to you. If they are. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>